Hello, guys. You know what time it is? It is time for Founders at Five live from New York City. My name is Anna, and my name is Lena. Welcome to our happy hour, a podcast about topics that don't make it to the happy hour, but that we are certainly discussing over a glass of prosecco today. Not a glass, actually, a bottle. <laughs> Cheers! Cheers! I'm actually gonna take a week off. It's very hard for me. It's always been very hard for me. I think I just have this guilt, like, oh. What am I doing? I'm supposed to be building and hustling and whatever. Even though it's very stupid, I don't think that it's justified at all. And I haven't seen my family in over a year. And even if I had, it's my family, right? It's okay. But I was telling this to another founder and she was like, oh, you're so good at taking that time because she's had similar thoughts. She's also from Europe. I'd love to go to Europe and see my friends and family, but I feel like I should be here building my startup. Do you ever have any kind of guilt when you're just doing your thing and you're not working or being productive? Well, this year, for the first time in many, many years, I took four weeks off. And oh, it wow. was glorious. How finish of you. <laughs> I know. <laughs> it was amazing. And for very many days out of those four weeks, I did nothing except I laid on a couch. Yeah. I was reading and, you know, in some moments I was just lying on a couch and thinking. <laughs> yeah, because you first need to reset. Yes. And then I think you can start working on something. I don't think I would ever be able to take four weeks, not because I'm not able to, but because I just couldn't. I would just be like, I can't. And I probably wouldn't want to either. But definitely like a week where you don't think about work and you're not like a little bit, let me check my emails, nothing, just resetting. And then you come back and I would assume that I will feel great. I don't know, because I haven't done that. Because every single time before when I've taken some time, it's always been like, Oh, let me think about the future. Let me brainstorm. Let me like read a lot about my industry and try to figure out strategies, whatever, right? The kind of stuff that you never really have time to do, unfortunately. And thinking is also very important to work because without the thinking, it's very difficult to execute. I think it's a very common founder dilemma, this like guilt of not doing enough. And even when you're like trying to relax, you can't really because your brain is there. So by the time you guys actually will listen to this episode, I will be in Spain. So we're recording now last time in person. And this comes out when I will actually be there. So next time I will report. Stay tuned for Anna's <laughs> vacation reporting. Yes, exactly. <laughs> Let me um, prepare my KPIs for my, <laughs> for my holiday. Oh, that sounds stressful. Oh, horrible, horrible. No, I'm going to drink wine and I'm going to spend time with my mom and dad. We also had a listener question and a request for a topic. Okay, hit it. The power of a hell no. Oh, I like that. Are you good at saying no? I'm bad at saying no to commitments and meetings and outings and things like that. And I don't even think that it's because I'm like uncomfortable saying no. I think for me, it's because I have this FOMO. If someone's like, oh, hey, do you want to join us for this and that? There's like a dinner, there's an event, there's networking, anything where I can feel like maybe this could lead to a possibility, right? And I'm always thinking very strategically about these things, right? So I'm always like, if I go here, I might meet some people that could elevate my business or me, or there's a good connection and whatnot. And I love being with people. So for me, saying no in those instances is hard because I have this FOMO. Oh, what if? Do you feel that these bring value? Here's the thing, right? Sometimes they do. I have definitely been in some random event where I've met a person who actually is within your industry. And I'm like, oh, well, that was totally worth it. But then sometimes you end up going to places and you're like, why am I even here? It's such a waste of time. And like, why did I feel like saying yes, I should be better at saying no. So I don't have a way to identify if I should say yes or no. I definitely say yes way more than I say no to these kinds of things. 
And what about you? Do you have like the same reason? You're like, oh, I'm missing out if I say no. I rarely have FOMO, but I sometimes overcommit. But why? Maybe just because I'm bad at saying no. Is it like, oh, I, I don't want to be rude? It can be partly I don't want to be rude. Or in the moment, I'm like, yes, 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 I am available this time. But then what I miss most of the time when I feel overcommitted is that I also need to schedule rest time or like I really need me time yeah. to get more energy. So then some weeks I might be overcommitted and it results in me being a little bit more tired. Oh, for sure. But I get a lot of like last minute stuff. People send me stuff even like the same day. Oh, hey, are you available tonight? There's like this mingle with investors and whatever. Who am I to say no to that? Are you kidding me? Wine and like investors? Okay, sign me up. And I have a lot of that. I have actually a founder friend. We should invite her as a guest, actually, to our happy hour. But she's she's amazing. She's also a founder here in New York. And she's been talking a lot about how she's been trying to be more mindful about the me time. And what she does if somebody reaches out to her and says, can you meet up? She actually says, hey, I don't have any available time. However, I'm going for a yoga class this morning. So if you want to join me for a yoga class, we can chat. Obviously, you can't do all meetings like that. But if they're more like catch-ups with just people, networking catch-ups, things like that. And she's like, yeah, I do that actually for lunches or breakfast sometimes. If I'm like super full, because you still got to eat. So it's like, yeah, let's go for breakfast. Let's catch up. But what about saying no in other scenarios with friends? Oh, a friend is inviting you over to a barbecue or whatnot. It's about boundaries and then the ability to say no. You might know your boundaries, but you still say yes, maybe from the fear of saying no, or you don't want to be rude, or you don't want to let somebody down. But knowing your boundaries and what you can do during a week, what you have time to, what you have energy to, and then following up RSVPing yes or no. But you could argue that you then don't know your boundaries. Maybe it's like, I don't have, <laughs> I don't have boundaries. Nowadays, I do have boundaries and I also am mindful of having that me time. I really need some days of the week just to be at home and do very normal things like cook, go to the gym, do my things, read, watch something. So it sounds so like scheduled activities, but having me time is for me equally important as having social time. The power of saying no is also super important in work situations because you can't overcommit to things if they don't really bring value to your business. Bingo. Whatever it is. Yeah, and, and they're actually, I've become better at that because there's a whole bunch of random requests to catch up. And especially now I've been more active on social media, more active on LinkedIn in particular. And there's like a whole bunch of people reaching out to me being like, oh, I love that you're a founder, would love to catch up. Do you have time next week? And then I respond and I say, what's the agenda? I'm busy. To some people, it might seem a little rude, but I don't care because honestly, at that point, this is where I draw my boundaries. Like I don't know you and I don't owe you my time. I want to be mindful about the fact that even me as a founder, I have reached out to people and they have given me their time even when they haven't known me. But I always make sure that there's an agenda because I understand that the stupidest thing you can do is say, let's catch up and get to know each other. Why? Nobody needs that. Like say, I want to speak with you because I want X, Y, Z. And it's fine to be direct. Be like, hey, I'd love to learn more because we may be working together or I'd love to have some advice. If somebody reaches out to me and says, hey, I'm a founder as well and I'd love to hear your advice because we're a little bit earlier stage and I wanted to see how you did X, Y, Z. I try to make some time for that because I and want to give nice back. it's nice to give back. Exactly. Yeah. 
asking somebody for their time is one of the biggest asks. The biggest state of luxury is when you are completely free to choose how you spend your time. But I think that also tells something about the person, right? I immediately know if somebody reaches out and has no freaking agenda and just says, hey, do you want to catch up or whatever? Or introductions, useless introductions. I'm sorry, but please do not introduce me to someone unless you know exactly why you're introducing. If you want to make a good impression on anybody, make sure you bring value or you're being honest. Sometimes you are the one who's getting something, right? I want to speak with a CMO of a big company because I want to learn from them or an investor or somebody. Of course, I am getting the value. They may not get that much, but then I'm being upfront and saying, hey, I'd love to get your thoughts or input on X, Y, Z. But please don't say like, I want to pick your brain. Honestly, that is the worst thing you can say, I think, to people. Who has time for that? I don't understand. I like what you said earlier about the luxury of choosing how you spend your time. But I do think that we all have that luxury. We can all decide how we want to spend your time. Like you could decide that you only spend X amount of time on working on a certain project, X amount of time on sleeping, whatever. It's your choice. Like we don't have to do anything. And I think we forget about that. Yeah, I think equally important with choosing your commitments, choosing your project is the skill to prioritize. And when you prioritize and you learn how to prioritize, things fall off naturally. Then it doesn't become this, am I now hurting somebody's feelings for saying no? It's just like, I don't have the capacity to do this right now. But the question is, how do you prioritize? Because I think that we all agree with that, but it's hard because you're thinking all of these things are important. For me, it's come with learning by doing how to prioritize what tasks, how to see the tasks. Are these business critical? Then, of course, they're higher priority. Are these must-haves or nice-haves? Nice-haves, it's much easier to be like, not now, you know, let's get back to this, maybe next week or in a couple of weeks. It adds a little bit of complexity when you have projects that have different goals and they drive results in a different way. But even then, need to have the overview of everything. But in reality, though, as the startup CEO, we're so early stage that I have to do a whole bunch of things, right? Which if you think about, is this critical to like me being a CEO? A lot of things are not. There's nobody else to do them. No, critical to business. Well, correct. But the thing is this, right? I've struggled with kind of finding the balance between the operational and the more strategic things, right? Because me as a CEO, right, I need to be out there all the time. I actually should not be sitting in the office at all. I should be out there all the time talking to people because I know when I speak to people, regardless of who they are, I get the word out there about what I'm building. I'm selling at all times and people buy that. They get to know me as a founder and why I'm building what I'm building and they learn about why this is important, all those things. However, there are so many things that kind of glue me to my desk. There's like this campaign that we're running and I have to go and check XYZ things and I have to update the financials. If I go out there and let's say I'm not in the office that much and there are weeks when I'm out there meeting people and meetings and networking, whatever, I sometimes feel bad about, okay, what am I doing? I'm just talking to people, right? It doesn't feel like I'm doing anything concrete, even though that's exactly what I should be doing, right? I'm the face of the company. I am the founder. I need to sell that. But at the same time, there's definitely a level of guilt that's like, but I'm not actually sitting there like doing the work. Have you found a good balance between those? I mean, I am very lucky. Everyone that is a part of our team and has been a part of our team have been really great. So we've been very lucky with the people that have been involved. And so delegating things, 
I've learned to be better at. But obviously, when you have a very small team, I mean, you can, everybody's like really have their hands full. So it's still a work in progress. I think the bigger we get, I'll be able to do more strategic things and maybe less of updating some numbers on an Excel sheet. That goes all to another discussion, embracing failure. Because while we are learning by doing, we also fail many times. So taking those and instead of staying in that failure, thinking like, what are the things that I will do or can do differently next time? Yeah, and I I think in the startup world, the cycle of failure is very short. It's like daily or weekly. I mean, I remember when we started, I wanted to be like a very organized, like I get my shit together, you know, type of CEO. So we used to do OKRs, which is like objectives and key results. It's this tool that a lot of startups use. You put your objectives for the quarter or month or week and then key results, like what you want to achieve and by a team member and you go through them and you're supposed to kind of measure how well you're doing, what percentage of this has been achieved. And we did this for maybe a year plus. And we're like a pre-seed stage company, which is very early. We would just realize we would go through them every two weeks. We would realize that most of the times we didn't achieve these things because we were actually working on something else because something else came up and that all of a sudden priorities changed and then we changed the OKRs and then you just kind of keep doing this every two weeks and you're like never really satisfied because you never really achieve things. The only person who ever achieved things was our CTO because he's like coding. So he's like, I need to build this feature. He builds it and he's like, now it's 100% complete. And you can say it's complete. But in a lot of the other things, it's like, oh, we now we spoke with 10 more clients and actually here's interesting things that came up and we should be working on this. It was changing so much that at some point, I said, you know what, it doesn't make any sense anymore to try to even mold ourselves to this structure because we're not there yet. Once we actually know what the hell we're doing, we can start (laughs) setting up goals. We do have goals, but we have a little bit more mercy for ourselves to say, hey, if they change, it's fine. And that's what we should do as a startup, right? Like you should go out there and break things and do things and change things until something sticks and you'll feel when it sticks. And then you're like, this sticks. Okay, now let's set up some goals to improve it. I don't know if it's the same, like for you, like writing, when you write a script, do you have to experience the feelings of failure? Because it's a very different thing, right? Yes. Yes. Like, (laughs) oh, okay. (laughs) Yes, definitely. And I've done writing in class by myself. I've done some short films and one of them was on TV. So I've experienced failure in different ways. One in class where you're like, you're pouring your heart out in a script and then you read it out loud and you get all this constructive feedback. That doesn't always feel very nice, even if it's very good feedback. Sometimes they're like, well, you don't agree with it. And when you get these questions like, well, how did you think here? Are those more about the content? It can be anything from structure to, or this character doesn't work. It's not realistic and so on and so on. So you evolve with these kinds of feedback sessions and classes and so on. I have this one TV show idea, not the one that I'm working on currently, but it's like in the back of my head. I've had it for many years. And that one, I have the concept and I have the general idea and I know what I want to do with it, but it's been too close to me. So I always end up writing some version of me. If my goal was to write about myself, yes, then I could take my life and create a concept around it, but I don't want to write about my life. 
So this TV show and this character has been way too close to me. So it's been always like a weird version of me. It was like Lena in 2017 or Lena in 2019. <laughs> I'm like, it doesn't quite work. And going through many iterations and many, many feedback sessions with writers from all over the country. And they're like, would character A do this? Or that sounds a little bit silly. And then I'm like, well, it happened to me. <laughs> <laughs> Once I wrote down a scene and it was exactly how it happened to me. What's the scene like in two sentences? I came into the country with an expired visa. And then I had a writer friend read it and she's like, Lena, this would never happen in real life. So if that's the feedback, it means that it's not credible, even if it happened in real life. But do you think that if you wrote that in, you know how sometimes you see movies that say this is based on a true story? Do you think that that would add the, oh, this is just so crazy that it only happens to like one person. That and was that you. is me. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe it could work, but writing is a very solitary activity. So having that reinforced by other writers, like, no, I, mm, you know, no, yeah. it doesn't quite work. And you're like, I knew it. And now somebody yes. also said it. Now it's like, now I got it amplified that it doesn't work. So definitely, I feel like writing brings a lot of the moments or feelings like this doesn't work. That's a part of the process. I think we collectively as people like to say, I don't care what people think, right? Because it's a cool thing to say like, oh, I don't care. I'm confident. And some people do more and some people do less. And I always love seeing some influencers on social media being like, I don't care what people say. And then 15 Insta stories explaining themselves how I, they don't care. It's like, okay, then why do clearly you talk about care. it? Yeah, clearly you care. But I feel like it's very liberating not to care. I think we should all try to expose ourselves as much as possible with whatever it is that we're doing and trying to get those different reactions, right? And you only get different reaction when you are being firm, strong, edgy. Like nobody likes when people say, oh yeah, I understand both viewpoints. I kind of think this, but also this. It's like, okay, well, whatever. You're never going to get anybody say that you suck because you don't have an opinion. When you have an opinion and it's strong, and sometimes you might be exaggerating a little bit to make a point, and then people are going to come at you and they're going to say, I disagree, this is horrible. But I think there it's also a difference. If somebody disagrees with what you say, that's very welcome. And that's always great because it creates a conversation. Usually the end result is better than the starting point. But if people are like, you are not fit as a CEO or you are not smart, that hits differently. It hits differently. It's personal. But I also feel like the more you get that, the less you care. That's again, a learning process because I've now quite recently come to the realization that the short films that I do or like scripts that I write, they don't all need to be perfection because it's also a process. The more you do, the better they get. When I've looked at some films from certain filmmakers from the very beginning to the very end, you see the evolution. Nobody puts out perfection right away, but sometimes at least with these projects, I have tried to reach something very close to very, very perfect. Looking back now, the end result for previous scripts or previous short films, far from perfection, but I'm so happy I put them out. Exactly. And then when you think about your target audience, you also need to remember that there's a portion that's still going to hate it. And they're just not your audience. You thought they were, but they're not. And that's so, okay. And that's okay, 
right? Because you're doing it for a certain type of people who get it. If you don't get it, then that's your problem. But it's not I'm, mine. Yes, I'm not doing Marvel. <laughs> <laughs> Oops. Yeah, that's for a mass audience <laughs> or like Star Wars or anything like this. Definitely. And that's why I think it's so important to put yourself out there almost like deliberately. Be a little bit edgier. If you think that you're going to post something, write something, have a talk or build a business, whatever, like talk about it in an edgier way. Because yes, you're going to have people that are going to get pissed about it. But that's a good thing because a reaction is better than no reaction, in my opinion, right? Somebody would know who you are and they're like, oh, this guy, this girl. Okay, but you know who I am. Yes, that is very true. If you put your opinion, your work out there, people's reaction can also change along the way. So somebody might disagree with your tweet or with whatever you have to say, strongly disagree. Then at least they're like, oh my God, I remember that Anna, she said X, Y, and Z. And then they might follow you or they might pay attention to whatever you say because they know you. I think that majority of the people actually do not do that these days. I think it's just like they've decided they disagree with you. And for them to start understanding you would mean that they have experienced some growth too. They're like, well, you know what? Actually, now that I think about it, you do make sense. And I think most people for sure out there on the internet are not those people, right? But I would hope that there are also a lot of people who do reflect on their own opinions and thoughts and they can grow and be like, oh, I was wrong. Because as hard as it is to admit that I was wrong, it is also one of the best traits. I was wrong. Let's fix it and move on. At the end of the day, it shouldn't be that hard to be like, hey, guys, I fucked up. <laughs> Thank you so much, guys, for all the amazing feedback that we have gotten. And we have received some fan mail. <laughs> Ooh, we're going to be posting it on social socials. media. So <laughs> make sure to follow us on social media on Instagram, Founders at Five, and you'll be seeing some of the love letters. See you guys next week. <laughs> <laughs>